Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field and delivers you to those places where you have the aha moments and mastermind meetings that can transform your business and trajectory, or at least bring you slightly closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You're not going to find this inside some soundproof $25,000 Hollywood quality studio, which is why we don't have one and never will. In fact, today we're coming to you from the living room of my sumptuous Las Vegas apartment that I can't wait to move the hell out of here in the hottest city in America. And we are going to have an interesting conversation about personality-packed copy. Copywriting is one of those things that folks endeavor to master. And they're looking for those special little techniques, whether it's neuro-linguistic programming, phonological ambiguity, presuppositions, uh, personal branding, business branding, shifting from the I to the U. We could go on and on and on about the tactics that I've seen. And there's a debate between long copy versus short copy. Oh, yeah. But we're going to cover today is how to write personality pack copy. And to take us down that journey, we have my right-hand woman, somebody I just uh, encountered a short time ago. Her name is Lucy Badewi, and she created my right-hand woman. By the way, that's spelled W-R-I-T-E, get it, right-hand woman. Copyright business for powerful women when she was but 22 years of age. Her mission is to give women the personality-packed words. They need to stand out and scale so they can be successful because of who they are, not despite it. She is here to show us some tactics on how to write converting copy that will help you reach your sales goals much faster. So, Lucy Badewi, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. Before we dive into what I'm sure is a very curious topic that our audience is going to love hearing about and that I'm excited about gaining a thing or two on, what we like to do here is take a step back. I read off your official bio. That's very impressive. I had not accomplished anything near that by the time I was 22 years old. By the time I was 22 years old, I was regretting not having taken a gap year before I started college because I just turned 22. And even after extending my, my stay there by a semester, I was being forced into graduation. I was nowhere near being done being able to have a legal drink in a bar at Penn State. It's just ridiculous. Seriously, <laughs> gap years for all. Uh, but when you were 22, you had created a business. But what we want to do is take a step back. And Tell us a bit about your journey in that. And what brought you to that point? 
that has delivered you to where you are now, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And you might have guessed one of my key phrases. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was some of it was planned, some of it was very unplanned. And I think everyone who lived through the pandemic, which I'm assuming is most people except infants, um, knows that that kind of threw life on its head. So I was going to the University of Maryland and I was in my senior year when um, COVID broke out. And it was one of those things where all my friends like were proactive. So they actually had job offers. And me, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. I'm just going to wait. And I have all the time in the world to find a job. Well, that's hilarious. So when <laughs> yeah. I got to the that's point. That's a good one. Yeah. I was like, thanks everyone who planned ahead. I clearly didn't do that. Um, I knew I had to make money somehow if I ever wanted to leave my parents' house. So it got to the point where I kind of dabbled in different things. I thought like, well, maybe I could be a social media manager or maybe I could be a virtual assistant. And then it, it kind of dawned on me, like I've been writing my entire life. Um, I've been writing content. I've been writing fiction. So I learned what copywriting was fresh out of college. I thought it was a copyright lawyer. I'm sure a lot of people have probably made that mistake. And I yep. did some deep dive into it and just saw that it's persuasive writing and just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, so like every new business owner, I stumbled my way through the first few months. I set up a Facebook page and just was hoping that someone would hire me. I signed my first client and she was a woman who sold um, marijuana accessories for women. And yep. she was so cool. And I was like, wait, this gets to be my job. I have a first client, like what? And then from there, it was 14 hour days in the pandemic, just trying to get my business off the ground. And um, I was able to grow it over the span of the pandemic and then continue to grow it when we got out of the pandemic, depending on who you ask, we're still, still in that murky period. But um, that's kind of like my beginning for how I, I started my own business. So you're one of those many folks who didn't just stick their head in the sand and say, <laughs> I'm going to go online and I'm going to I'm going to chirp about how everybody who doesn't agree with me is literally Hitler and evil and deserve to die. Yeah, you I actually, was not you one actually, of those. <laughs> you, actually, you actually did this really nutty thing, which is to explore new opportunities to, as I like to say in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, invest in the silver lining because it's a precious metal. So the cloud is the bug. The silver lining is you're free of a lot of those day-to-day -day dictates and those things that in many ways that we didn't even see were tethering you from mm -hmm. even seeing this possibility. Because had the bug not happened, I'm going to guess your trajectory would have been something along the lines of you would have finished your degree at the University of Maryland at the usual pace. You would have uh, lost a week's sleep over uh, all-nighters over finals. And you would have staggered through the job market for about three months before finding some entry-level position. Yep, pretty how, much. I how mean, close am I? Very. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but it was definitely one of those things where I was like, there's no way I can be an entrepreneur after college. Like, that's crazy to forego a first full-time position. Um, and then this crazy thought became my crazy life. Well, think about how we were conditioned. I... You know, we have plenty of time here, and I know that we're going to get into a, a lot about this copywriting stuff. But think about, or I'm thinking about an assignment I was given. I think it was in the third or fourth grade. We were given a one-page essay assignment, and it was to answer the question, if you won a million dollars in the lottery, what would you do with it? Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the problems is when we handed our assignments in, 
it turned out that any answer other than making a list of who you would give every dime to was, was incorrect. And if you had any notions of keeping any for yourself, you were greedy, selfish, and sinful. <laughs> well, that's a great lesson to teach children who probably just wanted to go on vacation. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the sec- now, here's the second problem, the wording of the question. If you won a million dollars in the lottery, so you can't make a million dollars. You can't have a million dollar business. You can't make your way to the C-suite and get a million dollar paycheck. You can't excel in athletics and get a million dollar contract. Oh, 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 no, no, no. That's for some people. But for you, proletarians, the only way you're (laughs) ever going to see a million dollars is if you just keep buying those scratch off tickets and you get lucky or you guess the right sequence of numbers one day. Yeah. When you put just that little tiny little seed into the ground, what sprouts out are a bunch of weeds that lead us to think, what, start a business? Don't you have to like have a job for 20 years first? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I thought. Yeah, I had the entrepreneurial bug pretty early. You know, all I really wanted to do was develop my own income. I grew up in this extremely rural area where the nearest yard other than my own was half a mile away. But I managed to find a couple grass cutting jobs in the uh, trailer park. It was about a mile away. And I pushed that damn push mower all the way up the road and then up the hill to get those jobs because I wanted my own income. When I uh, reached the age of 16, I wanted my driver's license immediately, not because I wanted to go out cruising because I wanted to go uh, get a job, bring the money in. When I was in college at Penn State, uh, I I was a political science major. I I did my term papers the night before. Most of the time I was there, I was in the computer lab, but I'm dating myself. I mean, who goes to a computer lab at college anymore? (laughs) Yeah, but uh, but back in the day, that was a big thing. And after waiting in line to get into that computer lab, oh, there's another one. I'm really dating myself. So when I was in those computer labs, I spent a lot of my time on some of the early e-commerce websites that were geared towards selling stereo equipment interior and exterior custom parts for vehicles in custom auto sound competitions. And aside from looking for stuff for my Camaro, I was thinking, how do I make money off this? Those are some of my early thoughts and what I was spending a lot of my energy on. But at the time, we didn't have the frameworks. We weren't given the frameworks to actually think of that as a serious thing. The idea of most of us starting a business is, oh, well, you're going to try and sell those knives. Well, how many relatives do you have? <laughs> yeah. And for this reason alone, I find it remarkable that you discovered as a result of mining the silver lining that you created this business around copywriting. I mean, who who to thunk? Yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where... I think there was a lot of confusion, but I was like, I, I just have to take action. You know, we were all just so in limbo and I'm one of those people where if I'm not moving, I feel so stuck. So I was like, you know, this is also the time where I'm so young that if I'm going to fail, like I might as well fall flat on my face now than in a few years. Sure. It'll make a great story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what were some of the biggest obstacles you encountered? We're going to start uh, micro and then we'll work our way upwards. Uh, What were some of the biggest obstacles that you discovered other than the fact that we were in the middle of having a bug hovering over us and getting this business started? 
Yeah, I think the the first one, um, which is just by virtue of like being young and starting a business was just getting over a lot of mindset blocks, a lot of imposter syndrome where it's like, who am I to be like consulting these big companies on what they should do with their messaging? Um, and that's something that I feel like got better with just time and, you know, using like, um, like going to mentors and following content that's really uplifting um, and also reading books. Um, but on a more physical, less mental level, I think another really big obstacle was um, like no one talks about how many hats you wear when you start a business. You know, I went into business to become a writer and immediately I became an accountant. I became a content creator, a marketer, a branding professional, a salesperson. So I think anyone who's starting a business can probably relate to that as you're just thrown uh -huh. into a million jobs in one. Right, right. And and when did you get to the point where somebody came along and said, oh, no, 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 no. You got to outsource all that. You got to be a powerful business owner. So yeah. like, like, just <laughs> like that, sure. you're supposed to, I, I've seen folks who will be in that solopreneurial phase. And part of my business consulting work is helping businesses move from the solopreneurial phase to being leveraged, whether it's having employees or virtual team members, or what have you. What I run into way too often is somebody who attended a webinar that was put on by a success coach, and and uh, they come out of it saying, oh, my stars, I've been doing this wrong all along. <laughs> so I, I just got off this webinar an hour ago, and since then, I've hired two copywriters, five virtual assistants, three digital marketers, uh, four accountants, uh, six lawyers, uh, <laughs> two CPAs, well, I have accounts, but I need CPAs too because they're two different things. Oh, and I also uh, found like three people to to manage my blog posts, and I, I have somebody to 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 do my social media. Wait, did I cover that? Well, I hired somebody anyway. That's a great wow. question. Wow, that's awesome! You now have absolutely no money whatsoever to pay your rent. Uh, by the way, what are these people going to be doing for you? What's your strategy? And sadly, outsourcing often goes down that route. Uh, could you see yourself not doing copywriting regardless of what your role in your business is? Uh, personally, no. Um, uh -huh. I could see myself potentially like growing like a wing of my business that's a little bit more, I guess, self-paced. But I know, right. I know outsourcing and like making yourself separate from your business is like the big sexy topic these days. But for me, I came into business to be a writer and in a perfect world and the world that I'm creating, um, I want to make it so that I am able to work with a few select boutique clients and just write. Um, and then all mm -hmm. of that admin annoying stuff is taken care of with a team and we're getting there. Um, I'm really happy with the women I have on my team right now. So you do the stuff that you, you enjoy the most and get the paid most for and use that to hire the people to carry the admin load. And then you create copies of yourself, but you do it in an order that makes sense for you. That's great. I wish people would, more people would hear that message. I fell for the whole, you got to outsource everything and ended up in a business I absolutely hated. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's like the day, that I, the day that I ended that business, I think uh, is one of the very rare times since the year 2008 that I've gotten drunk. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that that's 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 how remarkable it was. So so with your journey into copywriting, as you were learning it, as you were discovering, what were some of your early discoveries in terms of what makes effective copy? 
Yeah. So I write with a really emotional lens. It's, it's always been what I'm good at. It's always been what I feel called to do. So helping people really hone their story and their why and connect with their client more organically, as opposed to using like these hard and fast, like get rich quick sales tactics that like you can often find on the internet. I think that really effective copy comes from a connection with your ideal buyer. And that's really what I push my clients to lean into their voice, their personality, what their ideal buyer wants to hear, their pain, their desires, and just really get close with that. And then make sure you're creating messaging that's just speaking to their heart. Isn't that interesting? And how do we know what the heart wants. I know there's a song that says that the heart wants what the <laughs> heart wants, but how do we really know that when sometimes we don't know that for ourselves? Yeah, I think the best way to do it is if you're in a total bind and you have no idea what your ideal client's heart wants is just to get on the phone and talk to them and ask them like, what pushed you to hire me? Or what do you hope to get out of working with me? Or when you started interacting with my business, what was that thing that made you say, okay, I need to take out my wallet now. So it's always so helpful to just take the words straight out of your ideal client's mouth and not feel like you have to reinvent the wheel because usually your clients will tell you exactly what they, they think of you and you can use that. Yeah, I've, I was taught many years ago, and I know this isn't exactly a brand new concept. I can only give credit to the person who shared with me originally. Uh, that would be speaker Paul Ross, the creator of Invisible Influence. And he identified three different, I don't know if you want to call them categories or segments in terms of how to define what constitutes sales language. You have to keep in mind that there are three things going on in a human being's mind. There's what they say they want, what they think they want, and what's actually going to get them motivated to take an action. What we say we want, well, how much of that is influenced by social programming and and what we're supposed to want? What Mm -hmm. we think we want is how much of the our own personal truth through our own lens being submerged by our own thought process because God forbid somebody finds out what it really is. But the thing Mm -hmm. that motivates us, I mean, you mentioned you had friends and did any of those friends ever keep getting stuck going and hooking up with somebody who was just like really wrong for them and all they could do is complain about it. But over that dorm room, they went every single night. Meanwhile, their prince or princess charming was right there and had friend zoned the person saying, Oh, I know they check off all 20 of the 20 boxes, but they're not really what I'm looking for. I mean, yeah, I'm that sure every, I mean, everyone, can relate, everyone can relate to going for the person who's wrong for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and whether it's actually a friend of yours or just somebody you know of, or even something you were treated overhearing one day, you you're familiar with the phenomenon. It's like all they do is complain about this person, but they keep going back to them. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's right there is one of the analogies I use in my book to explain the whole phenomenon of what is it that people respond to. And I say that to a degree we can learn from lying, cheating, loser jerks because they understand <laughs> yeah. that real basic thing, what it is to get people to respond. We can take that and we can use that for good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So your the first clients you got, how did you locate them? Your you're just graduating from college, starting a copywriting business. I I ask this because I want to inspire people. 
Yeah. I mean, I started really simply. I started with a Facebook page and I joined a bunch of female entrepreneurship groups. And Uh anytime someone posted saying, hi, I'm looking for a copywriter, I would just post the link to that page and send them a message and say, hi, like I noticed you're looking for a copywriter. Do you want to hop on a call? Um, I never in my career was I a big fan of cold pitching. I always much preferred like a a form of attraction marketing and just really going into like warm leads. I think cold calling always really scared me. Um, so that's kind of what I did for my first few clients. And then as I started to pick up steam, that's my first outsource was, um, I hired a brand designer. I hired a web designer. I actually DIY a website for a little bit, but that was like one of my big level ups. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have a brand. Right, right, right. Yeah. So essentially, it was finding places where warm conversation was already possible yes. and responding to an inquiry. So this, so, so what you weren't inspired to do, what I'm picking up, is connect with people on social media, and then as soon as they accepted your request, send them five paragraphs of coffee pasta about your case studies and and uh, what have you, and say, hey, would you like to hop on a Zoom real quick? Yeah, no, did, I I was a woman of few words. I just tried yeah. to connect with them and, you know, let's save it for the call. Yeah, I bring that up on a lot of our episodes because I'm trying to find somebody who's A, done that successfully or B, ever had a positive reaction to that sort of outreach. Have you found it? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So aside from uh, So aside from some of the obstacles we've already discussed here. Is there anything else we need to cover? And I'm also curious if if there's anything else you have to share with us about what you did to overcome this. And the reason I'm circling back to this just for a moment is I'm thinking about somebody entering the copywriting space who themselves need to write copy to enter the space. It's sort of like you become your own chicken and your own egg to use that analogy. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to if someone's starting their own copywriting business or really any sort of creative or service-based endeavor is at the end of the day, like, of course, branding is important. Of course, we have first impressions. We're all human. But when people hire you, they're looking at exactly what it is that your craft is. So the faster you can write a website for yourself or a Facebook page or some sort of blog or presence that shows them what you can do, that is going to be your strongest asset for signing clients. And same goes for if you're a web designer or a brand designer, like you should have an amazing brand. Or if you're a web designer, you should have an amazing website. And just show off what you can do. And then that will just help bring in some clients naturally. Okay. Um, I dated myself by mentioning the idea of going to computer labs and waiting in line to use them at college. So, you know, we're talking about the 1990s. Um, I'm not trying to date you intentionally, but I'm getting a sense of where you fall in generationally, generationally and how long you've been involved in this industry. Have you ever heard of a company called One Shopping Cart? I have not. Okay. They, uh, they are either the ancestor or inspiration of every uh, shopping cart type app or company that you have heard of. Uh, for a while, they were industry dominant until others sort of came along. Well, anyway, I made a video one day, and this is when I had gotten out of the web development business and moved into the website conversion consulting business. It was a technical tutorial on how to go to a one shopping cart order form and customize the top of it with whatever you wanted. And boy, I had, uh, I had a, a business advisor who 
wanted to know why I was putting up some stupid video uh, about uh, about uh, programming HTML and making font sizes bigger. And, and, and then what am I trying to attract? And this is stupid. And if I don't take that video down, I'm going to look like an idiot in the website conversion space. Well, once you know, I kept booking I kept booking uh, 12 month consulting deals off that video. Yeah, that's wild. Because because that was a problem that a lot of people were trying to solve at the time is how to make those order forms look like more than just a generic order form. Mm-hmm. Which deal which goes back to website conversions because this was during the days and I'm not sure if you've heard of this or this is even something that's current in copywriting today where you want to be concerned that your order form doesn't look so much different from your website that people will think that they've been taken somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's all part of your brand. Yeah. I mean, we've gone to the point where a lot of shopping cart providers will will actually make it simple to just simply embed the Im, embed the order form right into your sales page. Mm-hmm. And since websites usually carry SSL certificates these days, the whole transaction is secure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So personality-based copying. I'd love to hear some, if you can share with us, so, or personality pack copy, rather. Uh, some examples of that and what some of your achievements are, because I want people to begin to visualize for themselves what this actually means. Yeah, I think when people hear personality-driven or personality-packed copy, it sounds very fluffy and very soft. Um, But what it really means is speaking like you're an actual human being on your website and putting who you are and your personality traits into your writing. So people start connecting with you before they even get on the phone with you. Um, and I, I've done this for coaches. I've done it for service providers, even e-commerce brands, even some more professional services, like, um, people who are in like the finance space, because the truth is we're, we're now in an era where we want to talk to people and humans. And even if you feel like, oh, well, if I show up and I'm professional, I can get my desired results. Well, the thing is professional has changed. Um, and oftentimes people will push me back on this and they'll say, well, no, you have to like use these copywriting tactics and do these things. And, you know, all I can keep doing is talking about the case studies. Um, and I can even just mention a few in this episode, but I had, um, a client who she launched her course. It's a social media course, and she generated $650,000 in revenue. I have another coach who's bringing in $100,000 a month because she also has her unique spin on how she teaches showing up and marketing. So as you can see, like the numbers, the numbers are clear, you know, personality wins and people really want to connect with the brands that they're purchasing from. Yeah, I agree with Bob Berg, who has famously said, all things being equal, people who do people do business with those they know, like, and trust. And I add Mm -hmm. to that saying that, yeah, I agree with that. And What's key is that people do business with people they see as people. Yeah. A few years ago, I was working with somebody to develop a client attraction system, which began with the basic common denominator, which is lead generation, having people opt in to download special reports and such. So in our copy for the thank you email that we create for them, we had them. We had the subject line saying, "Here, something like, here's your special report, and then in parentheses, quick favor, please." So the idea is they read it and then they they get their download link. They see uh, some of the uh, enticing little tidbits within the report. They get a download link again. Oh, and then that favor, which is the click reply 
and type either received or got it so that we know we fulfilled our promise to you. And the client did not want to do it. They refused to do it. They said, oh, this is so everybody's going to laugh at me for using these stupid tactics, blah, blah. I'm not going to I'm not going to lower myself. Uh, uh, and uh, well, you know, something funny happened. I don't don't ask me how this happened uh, because uh, because I'm sworn to secrecy on it and I swore somebody mm-hmm. else to secrecy. But somehow when their when their webmaster put all the technical pieces together, that language got left in that email. And I heard about it about three days later when the client came to me and said, you remember that, remember that language that, uh, remember that language that you, that I said, I did not want to have in my thank you email. And I said, yes, you're welcome. (laughs) And the client said, yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. I just booked a consulting client off it and I really need the money. Somebody downloaded this thing and saw my invitation to connect and, I had known them from like 10 years before and they wrote to me saying, Oh my God, where have you been? It's so great to hear from you again. And one thing led to another two days later, they, uh, I got the ACH deposit. Yeah, no stuff like that works all the time. That, that, and that's actually what I says after they said, you remember that copy I told you to take out that you left in? I said, yes, you're welcome. Cause I yeah. already know not mm-hmm. to, yeah, not to mention since we're speaking of copywriting and people receiving messages, that when you create a dialogue between a sender address and the recipient through mass email marketing, it raises the deliverability algorithm. So you want people to reply. Yeah. So it's yes. like a total win. Right. So if you heard anybody lately saying about how the idea of using a, a human personality to drive a brand makes you look like some small solopreneur and you got to make it look like it's a big company. Yeah. I, I mean, the jury's out on that. I think a lot of that also just kind of comes down to like how you want to be seen in the space. I have a few coaches that will come to me and be like, I don't want to be your best friend. I want to be an authority. And you know, when I write for them, it's a very different tone than I'll write for the person who's like, okay, well, no, I, I want to be the best friend. I want everyone to feel like they can be a part of my world. So I actually think that comes a lot down to brand voice. Okay. What do you think, I mentioned this in my, my introduction, since you're in copywriting, uh, I want to get your thoughts on it. I already suspect we may be on the same page, so to speak, uh, but uh, long copy versus short copy when it comes to sales copy. I got to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I'm a big fan of long form copy. I know everyone's uh-huh. like, people have goldfish attention spans, video rules, write less, but The thing is, everyone buys differently. Someone might buy because they buy with their feelings. Someone might buy because they want to know exactly what they're getting. Someone might buy slowly because they're an analytical buyer. So if you set yourself up with long form copy with multiple sections, you can talk to all of those types of buyers. You can also capture the people who are skimming. You can capture the people who want to read the whole page and you can capture people at different times of the buying process. And if someone clicks on your page for the first time, they might skim it. But when they're ready to hire you, they might be reading every single word. Um, So I think when you don't put stuff on the page, you're really leaving gaps for people to fill it in about your offer that might not necessarily be true. I see these discussion threads online and it comes up every so often where the same question gets gets shared. It's like, uh, what do you guys think of long copy versus short copy? And I read through the thread to see what the trend in responses is and what the reactions are to some of the comments. 
And sometimes if I see one is brand new, I'll sit back for a day or two and then wait before I jump in. Because mm-hmm. I want to know whether this is an actual discussion about copywriting techniques or it's just a bunch of people that want to whine and say, hey, just tell me how much and what it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you, yeah. Have you ever bought clothes you didn't need? Yeah. I bought a lot of things I didn't need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Something tells me that how much and what it does were not the primary determining factors in persuading you to make that purchase. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's always a multifaceted thing. And I always tell people like, you know, just because you don't like reading long form sales pages doesn't mean it's not going to move the needle in your business. I think that's a hard perspective shift to make as business owners. We think like what we would want or how we would buy, but often we're not fully aware of all of our subconscious patterns. So I always tell people like, try and stay out of that path as much as possible and look at the data and the data keeps saying that long form converts. I think some of it has to do with where the reader is in the purchasing cycle. If this is a reader who already has some level of familiarity with you, that's one thing. But if Mm -hmm. this is a cold visitor, they don't know anything about you. So just simply telling them how much and what it does. Well, what's, what's that? I can, I can look in the uh, grocery store circular and see that cream corn is a dollar 39. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, I also, would say that particularly with some of the developments we've had and the ability to customize website designs and such, if you want to do the long form, it's so much easier to set varying backgrounds and subtle divider tactics and do techniques with fonts and positioning of blocks of text to make the longer copy more skimmable. For sure. And I always tell people, write short sentences, short sections, just because it's long copy doesn't mean it's an essay. It just uh-huh. means that there's multiple sections and you can get more information on the page. But if it doesn't look good or if it's not digestible, no one's going to read that. Yeah. Uh, with one of my clients, um, our arrangement between he and I for many years has been is uh, he writes the drafts of he writes the drafts of whatever he wants to have placed on his websites. And then I'm the one that turns it into web copy because there's two different things. Like uh, his average sentence is actually four paragraphs when you translate it from something that's printed on a page to something that's printed on a web page. So wild. So you know, <laughs> that's you a know, long you, one. So you know, you know what I'm talking about. The idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my general rule is, with very few exceptions, and I actually want to get your thoughts on this as a as a copywriting professional. That when it comes to web copy and email copy. And even to a degree, social media copy, every sentence should be its own paragraph. Yeah, that's a a lot of people say, I definitely agree with that for emails. I think definitely, I mean, maximum three or four sentences per paragraph. And when I say sentences, I mean fragments, like there should be no like ands or buts or all that stuff. You can really start new sentences and be a little bit choppy with it. Um, but I 100% agree with you in terms of short paragraphs, because that white space is going to be your friend. Also, let's look at the behavior of the viewer. Five years ago, we were still talking about how to make our websites mobile compatible. And mm-hmm. where, I th- where I see us being in 2022 and beyond is designing for mobile and making it compatible for desktop. Yeah. You know, uh, when the idea of having a big hero image at the top of your web of your web page 
became a thing. Mm-hmm. And I got all the pushback of, but but you're not using any of that real estate at the top to put in a call to action. And, and you're wasting all that with a big picture with big text on it. And that should be where your prime copy is. I said, yeah, I agree. That one sentence that appears within your hero image should should be three-fourths of what you need to close the deal or at least get people to scroll down three inches. Uh, yeah. and, then I, and then I invite them to look at web pages on smartphones, which generally look like applications where the first thing you see when you open it up is a big picture with one sentence of text laying on top of it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. sometimes, and sometimes a button. It's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, that's just the extent to which our behaviors, behaviors have changed. So what have you seen in terms of where we are with page, like length of stay on page, how long people will read something? I know the answer to that is absolutely, it depends on the type of copy, length of copy, meaning of copy, purpose of copy, but does it seem like that's going up or down or what trend is going on? Yeah, I mean, I I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but I I did read that the average person spends um, about, if they're interested in a page, they spend about seven seconds on it. Um, And then, you know, essentially they they leave. Whoa, 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 whoa. If they're interested, they spend seven seconds? Yeah, so I, like I said, I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but I want to just kind of talk about this in terms of like home pages. Um, If people stay on a page, so some people will take a look at a page really quickly and then bounce. And that's just like, if that's happening, you know, there's like big problems going on. Um, But if someone is just perusing a website, I I don't want to like quote the data specifically because I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's very short. I'm not talking about the people who are like interested, interested, where they're like going on every page and they're reading. Um, But it's essentially someone who isn't just like a looks at the page and then immediately leaves. It's someone who's a little bit more invested even they're skimming very quickly yeah we hear about the the average person uh receiving thousands of marketing messages where they realize it's marketing messages or not and then you see how they engage with marketing content they're going to spend about that much time on it so what really jumps out at me is if you've captured somebody's interest enough for them to look into it that you have about seven seconds Yeah. So if you do the hard work of making it so they don't just click on your site and immediately click off, maybe they thought your headline was cool or you look good in your first picture, whatever it is, they've decided to kind of just like take a peek. You really need to make sure that in those first seven seconds of them taking that first initial skim, that then that's where like the second line of conversion comes, where you want them to stick around to really read the page. So from this, you the takeaway is you should have really strong photos, really strong headlines, well-sectioned out copy, and make sure that if something's important, it's bolded or in a very um, accented font. So people's eye is immediately drawn to it. Yeah. Have you also noticed that fonts on web pages keep getting bigger? Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. One of my one of my other clients, uh, who's uh, not only one of my consulting clients but also one of our podcast reachers, has been with me for sixteen and a half years. And wow. uh, I remember in the early days of working with him, he would he would fight tooth and nail over anything that even vaguely resembled long form sales copy. I had to get him to agree to reluctantly try long form sales copy for a promotion once. And he became a believer when he sold out within six hours. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I was even blown away by that result. I didn't think he was going to sell out in six hours, but that's exactly what happened. Now he still didn't really believe it, and he has been just he's just been doing the dance of joy for about the past five years because he was <laughs> saying all along this long form sales copy and the idea that uh, the word document you use to create sales copy is 45 pages long. It's just a fad that's going to pass. And ultimately we're going to get back to something a lot more concise. So he's been doing this big dance of joy about it. And I'm kind of with him because I've written those 45 page sales letters and uh, I'll show you the remaining fragments of my soul. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I, I think, yeah, I think in the way I think about long form copy is different than the way you think about long form copy. Um, because I actually don't do the 45 page sales letters. Um, and it's just, it's just not something in the services that I offer. I think when I talk about long form, I'm talking about like a 20 sectioned web page. Um, 20 second. So, uh, 20 sectioned. 20 sectioned. Okay, so we're getting into a formula of some sort here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really like see a long form sales page as like multiple sections, multiple scrolls. Um, but I do know exactly what you're talking about with those long form sales letters. And that's the type of copy that I'm not as familiar with in terms of um, conversion rates and all of that stuff. I'm, I'm talking more of the long form 20 sections versus like a, a tiny web page where you're just bulleting out a few things and you're like, okay, join my webinar. Well, for join my webinar, you really don't need as much copy. Definitely not. Yeah, free offers can be much shorter. I've seen people write long form copy for free webinars. And I'm thinking, what the hell did I just spend five minutes (laughs) reading this for? This is the type of thing where all you have to do is persuade me to take a chance and sign up. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did not need the entire background of your industry to figure that one out. However, and that's even that's even on a cold introduction, because if I'm attending a webinar, it's because usually I'm either look actively searching for the answer to a specific question or in seeing the bullet points, I realize I now have a question and want the answer. That's it. Yeah. And all that webinar has to do is in some way answer that question. It can be in one sentence. Mm -hmm. People people will spend $7 10 times a day on 10 page ebooks in search of the answer to one question. Mm -hmm. Yep. So again, I think it's part of it's, I think there's some agreement here. It's a matter of what the audience is looking for and both the breadth and the depth of their expectations. For sure. And it's all, it's always that thing that if you're selling something that's more expensive, a high ticket offer is always going to warrant a longer sales page. If you're looking to convert cold traffic specifically, um, then like a $7 ebook that you can probably get away with just a, a few sections and maybe some testimonials. That, that could be, that could be usually if I, like, if I were selling a $7 ebook, I would say something like, here's my ebook. Here's my ebook. I already have your IP address. I dare you not to buy it. That's so aggressive though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't actually, I haven't actually tried that, but I can imagine there might be a market that would see that as humorous and be attracted to yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you like have 
I, I mean, I think it all goes back to brand voice. Like if you have like a really like rambunctious brand voice, you can get away with so many things. So it's just a matter of like figuring out like who you want to be in the online space. And then from there, crafting web copy that aligns with it. Yeah. So all this conversation we've had over the past 45 minutes or so, and I know we're getting to the top of the hour here is great, but there's one thing that I think is really of utmost importance to me and pretty much the entire universe is, uh, what is your opinion on the Oxford comma? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's helpful. Um, so I definitely, with the ox. yeah, with I the do, ox. Okay. I do like it. Yeah. Especially because you can get some like funky grammatical sentences if you don't use it. Um, but I also will say that it's one of those things where if you're not into it, you don't have to use it. I think that's what's so awesome about copywriting is every brand has their own grammar rules. So, you know, when you're creating your style guide, or if you're having a copywriter create a style guide for you and you're like, eh, I'm just like not drawn to it for whatever reason, you can just pull it right out. There was this company that ended up losing a multi-million dollar lawsuit because of the lack of the Oxford comma in a sentence in their contract with the union that caused the dispute over the definition of overtime of what was eligible for overtime pay. Oh, wild. Yeah. If the comma had been there, they would have not have had to pay out millions and millions of dollars, but because the Oxford comma was not there, it led to phonological ambiguity as to whether a statement constituted two conditions or one. Yeah, that's such a crazy example. Yeah. I also am looking at a picture of a meme right now. And on the left-hand side, you see a cat sitting inside a crock pot. And on the other side, you see a cat eating from a bowl. On the left-hand side, the caption above it says, let's eat kitty. On the right, <laughs> it says, let's eat kitty with a comma after the word eat. Yeah, I commas saw the same save, thing with grandma. Commas save lives. You do not. When, and I and I say this as I have Princess Alessandra, who's uh, one of our supervisors, supervisors here, uh, I, that uh, I do not want to see her in a crockpot by any means. Uh, I should also tell you that Alessandra is a performing musician. She, oh. she, yeah, she usually does concerts at like three o'clock in the morning when her heaping full food bowl has a tiny little empty spot right in the middle when she ate straight down. <laughs> this is an existential crisis and everybody within hearing shot of her loudest possible meow needs to know that she is literally starving to death. She is so famished that she cannot even make it to call cat 911. <laughs> yeah. So, which actually leads to another question at this point, I'm just going through some ideas and questions I have about appealing to people and persuasion uh, to what extent does memeology have an impact on copywriting in today's world? Yeah, I think I definitely kind of put that more in the category of like a social media manager. Like their job yeah. is to really just like source like what's current, what's trending, and then use that more in social media. Um, I definitely think you, you're more than welcome when you're writing your emails to include images or um, if you want to like moving pictures or, you know, you can include some memes or some videos, like you can make multimedia emails. It doesn't have to just be text. So I kind of see it more as like an amplifier. Okay. An amplifier. I, 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 I got, I got it. Uh, I've found that entire conversations can take place over memes these days. I have 
this one friend of mine where that's mostly how we communicate. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not fluent in memeology, but some of my friends are, and it's impressive. Yeah, I, I, I've been a veteran of multiple meme wars. <laughs> you was, should put was, that on the resume. I was, I was a battalion commander at one point. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I also find it helpful as a way of keeping in contact with people without having to have phone calls with them. Like, how are you? What are you up to? And oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, you just send in something quick. I think people do that with TikToks too. Yes, 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 yes. So overall, am I hearing correctly that you view social media as playing more of a supporting role when it comes to copywriting rather than being an integral product of it? Yeah, I definitely think both are equally important for driving sales. I kind of see it as the social media is um, like big, big part of the funnel. So like more of that awareness phase when they go onto your social media profile, they're like, oh, they made me laugh. I really like their content. And then what do they do? They click the link in bio and that's where the copy is there to get them to pull out their wallet. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is we actually still do need our websites. Yes, 100%. I think, um, I've seen people succeed with just a social media page, but usually when people see a lot of early success with just social media, then they come to me and they're like, okay, I'm ready to just legitimize this business. Because the truth is we don't own social media. You know, if Instagram decides, you know, we're tired of being Instagram tomorrow, you could lose your whole business. So it's so much smarter to have an email list and a website that you own. Right. You can also get canceled for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, for, I mean, for days. no reason. And they won't even tell you why. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, furthermore, and this is an argument that I'm back and forth on all the time in the world of podcasting. Most of what I do these days, as far as uh, profession, is working with entrepreneurs to launch their podcasts, their key networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding toll. And I get the pushback all the time of, well, why would you want to put your podcast on a website? Man, just put it on iTunes. And I'm thinking, A, it's been called Apple Podcasts for at least six years now, yeah. and B, you're just asking to have it wiped away. Yeah. And why, why would you surrender your ability? You're, you're putting all this effort into a podcast. Why would you surrender your ability to have it on real estate that you own and also have control of that real estate so that you can do basically whatever you want in terms of search engine optimization and marketing and use of and use of algorithms to rise your prominence in the images search, the video search, and even the podcast search, rather than depend on anchor.fm. Yeah. Absolutely. I go back and forth on this all the time from folks who tell me the podcast reach is a reach. Well, the fact is it helps you reach out and achieve more of that networking client attraction, celebrity expert branding. I, I mean, I mean, how many, how many podcasts have you heard about, but never actually seen? Oh, probably a million. Yeah. How many podcasts have you heard about and tried to find and couldn't? A million too. Yeah. Because they don't have their own dedicated websites. If you're doing it properly, the name of the podcast should be a number one search engine term. I, I yeah. mean, we, I, with our reach system, we're able to put podcasts out and have the name of the podcast come up number one on every search result within five days of the launch. Yeah, that's incredible. It's an, it's 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 an, it's all in the nomenclature and how you structure the front page copy. So, uh, with our reach system, our copy is actually designed around uh, looking at secondary SERPs. 
So that's your images search, your video search, your your podcast SERP, and possibly even finding a way into the news SERP. We've had a few slip into there over the years. It's very interesting how this works. Uh, part of the magic behind Reach, which looks like it has a lot of moving parts on the back end, is about using copy. And we also write copy. This is part of the reason I'm interested in speaking with you on our show here is part of podcast reach is we generate copy for our clients' websites. And it is candidly kind of formulaic, but the formulaic, but the formula is designed for the algorithmic eyes. Yeah. The show itself is for the chaotic human eyes and ears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if so, if, so let's say I had a, a can of whipped cream and uh, I'd say enjoy it because from this point on, this is a no fluff zone. Wonder who wrote that. Yeah. Does that sound familiar to you? Just a little. Yeah. But, but, but chances are people may remember that because it's not the typical copy. Some might, some folks might say, and this might be relevant to certain avatars in your industry where they might say, discover how to increase your, your time on site by 30% and your conversions by 9% by implementing these first of breed copywriting techniques developed by a 22-year-old college graduate with one-year experience or something like that. Okay, mm -hmm. that's great. Uh, but um, I actually want some whipped cream. I mean, it's about dinner time. I want some desserts. I want the whipped cream. I mean, that's, it's, I mean, I, I mean, I'm also down with the idea of amplifying your messaging with personality pack copy and turning your visitors into believers, but that's not what would draw me in. Yeah. I mean, if, I, if I'm on myrighthandwoman.com, I'm basically here because I already have in mind, I'm looking for a copywriter and for I've sure. probably heard of you from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so basically I would encourage all of our listeners to check out that website, which is www.myrighthandwoman.com and discover more about what Lucy has to share. Also, Lucy has a gift for us. And I encourage you to visit www.myrighthandwoman.com forward slash copy hyphen roast. So copy and then a hyphen roast. And this is going to be the copy roast. Scorch your current copy, fire up your audience. And basically what you're getting here is if you book yourself a copy roast, Lucy will audit your copy and give you some BS free writing advice that will torch your word woes and let your business grow. I love the alliteration and the near rhyme. Thank you. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite offers. So um, if you feel like your copy is just, you're like running in circles, it just feels so off. Um, you can go there and you can choose if you want to do a recorded roast or if you want to do a live roast for what I do is I, I audit your copy face-to-face um, -face over Zoom. Um, and then you get notes on everything I said in terms of verbal edits and feedback. And you can go in and do those yourself. It's the great happy medium offer between figuring it out on your own and hiring me fully. So if you're kind of in the middle, I think that'd be a great offer for you to check out. Yeah, I was looking at this earlier. And when I saw this, when I saw this page, I'm thinking, holy long form sales copy. But the funny <laughs> thing is, is it doesn't feel that long on the surface because of many of the things we discussed. And I encourage all of our listeners to subscribe to Business Creators Radio, listen to this episode again, and go to this webpage and see how many of the things 
that Lucy and I discuss, you're going to find embodied within this copy. So some of you are listening, and maybe even you, Lucy, thought I was just asking things at random to fill an hour. Oh, no. Oh, no. I had uh, I had this all mapped out before we began. But my style is to create the essence of being in a mastermind conversation, which by definition does not come with a roadmap. Yeah, absolutely. But essentially, as a listener, you just got a lesson in copywriting. So we have fulfilled our promise. And with that, I want to say, Lucy Badea, Badewi, <laughs> Lucy Badewi, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me, in education. Thank you. It's great being here. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.